there are a lot of reasons out there why you could win a deal. But on the flip side, there's also reasons why you can lose a sale or lose a deal. And the question for you is, do you know what the factors are that will cause you to lose a sale and how they impact you over time and what they do to your sales process? Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo. Aloha from Sacramento, California today. Today's a fantastic day. I'm coming to you live from the How to Sell Show studios. And the episode we're going to go over, you know, I, I've i uh, wanted to do for a while. And I made sure to take some really good notes. I did some ride-alongs recently. And I was like, you know, these, these examples that I have are going to be perfect. And this episode is, how do you lose a sale and miss out on a deal? And this is going to be wide-encompassing, meaning it's going to start with some basic stuff and go to some advanced And I'm going to say for this episode, you're going to want to be open. The basic stuff, you're going to be like, yeah, Scott, I get this. The medium stuff, you're going to be like, okay, that makes sense. And then some of the advanced is is really going to be what to target if you've been in sales for a while. And so the answers may not just be about sales. Some of this is going to have to do with your life. So, you know, people will say like, hey, Scott, you know, uh, in sales, I separate myself from what's going on in my life. And for some people, they can do that, but for other people, they can't. And, uh, you know, as you close deals and you get better at what you do, your brain will trick you into thinking that you're Superman or Superwoman or Batman, whatever figure that you want to be from a comic book. And so uh, I want to start with the basics. Yes, the basics, the basics. And I want to let you know a few things. It's typically not just one thing that loses the deal. It's like a combination look. It's a, it's a combination of things that you have done or you have not done. And so, you know, sometimes I'll read with newer salespeople and they'll say, hey, Scott, I did this one thing and it lost the deal. I asked this one question. And very rarely, very rarely is it that you did one thing that lost the deal. It's a multitude of things. And the reason why I'm diving deep on this is because I, I want you to understand Anytime you put in time, effort, energy, risk, or money into something, you have the ability to be rejected. Now, conversely, if you do not put time, energy, effort, risk, or money into something, you have the ability to have some regret. And between those two views, we tend to look at deals a little bit differently, especially since you know, you're looking at it from the standpoint of like, I lost this deal. There's regret there. It'll cloud your judgment. Not that you're 100% right or 100% wrong. It just, it, it's one of those things where you're like, mm, there's there's something off, but you don't realize it until later on being in sales for a long time, okay? So it's not just one thing that loses a deal, it's a lot. And some people will say, well, you know, it, it's because you asked for the sale. It's because you you asked and, and the person's upset. Well, you know what? If the person's upset because you asked for a sale and they're talking to a salesperson, they might have a few other problems in their life than whatever you were helping them solve, okay? And with that being said, you have to be willing to be accountable to yourself or somebody else. And this is an important conversation. If you're sitting in an office right now and you're looking around and you're looking at the closer, the closer doesn't need somebody to 
point and prod him to do things, the closer, whether it's a man or a woman, will do things on their own. And pretty much, you know, you, you've got people who are on their way up, but a lot of, of weak salespeople need to be managed. They need somebody telling them what to do. They need to go to what I refer to as mommy and daddy, which is the manager or to the business owner. And if, if you really want to close more deals and you really want to sell more and lose less deals, you have to be accountable to yourself and you have to accept that things are your fault. You have to be willing to say, I screwed up. Uh, I screwed up a deal last week. I, it was on me. Like The only thing that I could do is raise my hand and say, I screwed up. It was me. It was me. And the sooner that you can realize that things that happen that are in your control are your fault. And you're like, Scott, I get to the point, you know, how do you lose a, a sale and miss out on a deal? I'm like, hey, these are some of the fundamentals. These are some of the fundamentals, especially if you're brand new. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to have to say that I'm accountable to myself. Well, that in lies part of the problem, because if you're in a sales process and you're not willing to say, this is 100% on me, I got to give a good presentation. I got to, you know, do, do what I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to ask for the sale. You know, I'm supposed to do follow-up. You know, that, that's part of the, the job. That's what sales is. You know, a lot of times people make this mistake of like, hey, this is what I think sales is. And I'm, I'm going to go deviate and tell you a story. Uh, in the early 2000s, I really wanted to go to law school. I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to be an attorney. I was a philosophy major, you know, a philosophy major so I could go to law school. Because <laughs> in philosophy, you get to argue all the time, which I thought was pretty freaking cool. And so I sat down with a friend and his his father was a pretty well-known attorney. Uh, like famous. And so we talked a lot about law and he said, Scott, what do you think law is? And I told him and he was like, wrong. This is really what law is. And he explained to me what lawyers go through and, you know, what you see in the movies isn't really what you get. And I'm going to say it's the same thing about sales. If, if you're brand new and you're looking like, I see what a closer does. They make everything look so easy. And this is like, there's no conflict. There's no problems. And it's sunshine and butterflies and rainbows. I'm going to have to point out to you, um, yeah, that's not the way that it is. So you do have to be accountable to yourself first and foremost. If you're accountable to yourself first and foremost, then you forego having to be accountable to somebody else because you've got yourself under control. And this is a bedrock. This is a basic. This is a fundamental that you have to know. And I will say from the deals that I've written on and the amount of role play that I've done with people over the last 15 years, it usually comes back to being sloppy. There's something sloppy about the sales process. And what you need to know is your buyer, your buyer is buying into your confidence, your explanations, your story, the, the ability that your company or your product has to present itself well in the marketplace. There, there is a whole bunch of stuff, but I will work with salespeople who are completely sloppy and they'll still close deals because, you know, the buyer likes their personality, but that doesn't work out with every buyer. Just because it happened once doesn't mean it's going to happen again. And salespeople, this is this is something that gets really weird. They're like, but you know, three times out of 10, I can just sell off a personality. And that's about the standard number, just so you know. Three times out of 10, you can sell off a personality. And I'm not knocking anybody who sells off a personality, but that's one of the go-to moves. Because like, you know, people will say, hey, you have a pleasant personality. You seem like a lot of fun. You should probably be in sales. Well, that's one of the legs of the stool. You know, personality is one thing. And then you, you have to have sales capability and you have to have the ability to ask for the deal. 
So I, I'm going to give you my insights from interviewing a ton of salespeople. And some of these may or may not make sense to you. There's really three traits. There's really three traits of, of a salesperson in my mind. And yes, there's probably more, but these are like, this is like the 80-20 rule. So uh, salespeople that are good at what they do tend to be good looking. They tend to be socially awkward and they tend to be funny. And you can have two of those three and be really good. You can have one of those three and be okay most of the time. And people say, hey, it's, it's Scott, it's not fair. I'm not a good looking person. I, I, I'll be like, I am an average looking dude. I have a round head. Uh, I've got a gut, right? I still sell. I still close deals. But I will tell you, I can be socially awkward and I could be funny. Um, my little brother is a pretty good looking dude. He can be socially awkward and he is funny and he closes a ton. You know, I think of the people that I know and, and, and that are just amazing with dude. I got a friend, Mitch. Mitch, goofy looking dude, funny, super socially awkward, closes a ton. And so you're like, hey, Scott, why is this? Okay, well, in life, people do get the lottery and they do end up being good looking right out of birth. Good for them. They get treated a little bit differently in life. And if that's not you, then you can't do anything about it because that's not me either. All right. But socially awkward is, hey, I'm willing to go step into a meeting and ask somebody for the business seven times and have them tell me no and still walk away with it and laugh about it. And funny just is, it just explains itself. Everybody wants to hang out with the funny person, except for the grumpy person. Grumpy people don't like the funny people. Okay, next up is lack of prep or show up time, no resources. And I can think back of a time that I rode with a salesperson and I was here in Sacramento and we were on Highway 50, so Highway 50 runs from Sacramento to South Lake Tahoe. So we're heading east to South Lake Tahoe. We are going to a town called El Dorado Hills. And we, we're driving, and it's probably 17 miles from the middle of Sacramento to where the, the capital is to El Dorado Hills to the east. So we're on this road, Highway 50. And I'm talking to the sales guy. I'm like, all right, you prep for this call? Yeah, I'm prepped for the call. Okay, you got your paperwork? Oh, dude, I don't have my paperwork. And I go, all right, um, you don't have a contract. No, I don't have a contract. I said, what are you going to do when you sell this job? He goes, ah, just go back and um, I'll close the deal afterwards. And in my mind, I'm like, dude, this is a bad idea. We should call somebody and try to find some paperwork, but you're going into this call 100% naked. You don't have a, uh, a paperwork to close the deal. So we go to this call. Uh, we meet with the, the homeowner who happened to be the buyer. And the dude is ready to roll. He's like, yep, let's do it. And the sales guy goes, oh, man, I'm out of paperwork. You know, let me come back and I, and I will uh, go over things with you. So the homeowner goes, let me, uh, yeah, call me. Let me, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that moment, I didn't knew. Sales guy screwed up. The homeowner would never call the sales guy back and went with another company because I'm having to guess in his mind, he says, this guy wasn't prepared. He wasn't ready. And I'm not going to do business with this guy. So sometimes it's a lack of resources. Next on this list, no discovery and straight to the price. Salespeople tend to do this when they're struggling. Salespeople tend to do this when they feel like they've got really good rapport with the buyer that they will strictly just roll into price. You know, they won't give any benefits. It's just, let's, let's go price. It's, it's an impatience thing for some people too. No presentation, fly by the seat of the pants. So if, if, and you're going to have to realize what stage of the sales process you're in. If you're a rookie, this is really going to apply to you. 
if you're intermediate sales, this is going to apply to you. And if you are a closer and you've been out in this field for a while, this may or may not apply to you. And so a lot of the industries that I work in, if you fly by the seat of the pants, you're going to, you're going to have between a 13 and 17% closing rate. It's just, it is what it is. And I'm not saying this is all industries. It's, this is some of them. And flying by the seat of your pants goes, I'm going to tailor a custom presentation for everybody that I meet with. Well, if you do that, you can't track where you're screwing up. You, your, your vocal pitch and tone doesn't go in because you're not in a sales call. It's a sales presentation. You're, you're, you are, in essence, an actor. You have to go out and act your presentation every time that you give it. And there's times where you pause. There's times where you smile. There's times where you laugh. There's the same story over and over and over and over again. And salespeople will tell me, Scott, I don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, pick your favorite band. Everybody's got a favorite band. You know, everybody loves some sort of music. So I'm going to give you some of mine. You know, I, I like the early Metallica. You know, Black Album was about the point where I'm like, okay, Metallica's got some good music. And then maybe, maybe load and, and reload. But like you think of songs like from Metallica, and if you don't know their collection, they've got some good stuff. But like one of the famous songs that everybody wants to hear in concert is One. Well, if Metallica got up and played One but changed the words, people would be upset. It's because people expect a certain level of music to come from a group. Well, the same thing happens in your sales process. People expect a certain level of music to come from you. Your version of music just happens to be your sales presentation. Next on the list, not asking for the sale. How do you lose a deal? You don't ask for the sale. You don't give somebody a next step. Here's what you do. All you have to do to get started is give me your driver's license, whatever way you ask for it. There's a million ways to ask for a sale. I can't outline all of them here to <laughs> here for you today on the How to Sell Show. Not paying attention to the details. I'm going to add in here not taking some sort of notes, not going through your information and figuring out what needs to be done for the buyer. Now, I know I've mentioned this previously on the How to Sell Show, but I have a food allergy. And it's a really weird one. I'm allergic to vinegar and it's a histamine. It's a histamine allergy. Okay. So I'm in St. Louis and I go to this really famous restaurant and there's probably 30 of us, maybe 40 of us at the table. And the guy who's taking our, our order is not writing anything down. He's doing everything off of memory. And, you know, sometimes people put balsamic vinegar on things and they put vinegar on, on rubs or whatnot, whatever goes into food. And in my mind, I'm freaking out because we're going out for a party and I can't have happen to me what happens when I'm, when, when I eat vinegar. And so, you know, I kind of freak out on the guy. I'm like, dude, I got to make sure you don't put any vinegar on anything that I eat. And the guy's like, I got you. I got you. And the whole time I'm sitting there waiting for my food. I'm like, please don't screw this up. Please don't screw this up. You know, I'm here for selling a ton and, and getting an award and we're going out and the company's paying for all sorts of cool items. I'm going to leave off of the how to sell show. And, and so thank goodness I didn't have any issues with, with vinegar, but like, you know, when people don't write down what's important to me in my mind, I'm like, okay, most people don't have a good memory. Are they going to remember? So not paying attention to the details could be a lot of things in your industry, but one of them is not writing stuff down on this list on the basics, old school sales. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of movies that are funny about sales. There are a lot of movies that kind of represent what sales is. And then there are some movies that represent what sales was, was W A S what sales was. And I love me some Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, because 
If you've ever been in an office, everybody's always fighting about the leads, but it's about the leads. Come on. It's about the leads. But what a lot of people don't understand about always be closing is the structure of it and how you ask for the sale and, and the, the intention that you have behind it. And so you could, you could lose a deal because you believe that sales is one thing. Now, remember, I told you about what I thought law was. And I didn't understand what it was until I had been out in the field for, excuse me, until I had interviewed with a friend and and talked to him about what sales was. And sometimes people don't understand what sales is and they think what is in a movie is what sales is. And it creates some confusion. So, you know, there are some silly things that worked in the 50s. Now, if you look at the escalation of sales, the salesmanship the way that we look at sales really started somewhere around 1880 and then peaked right after World War II. Um, the The guys came home from World War II and they wanted to buy things and there was no abundance of information. You had to talk to somebody who was a specialist. And so the the sales that we see that, that was created in the 50s really is evolved a lot in almost the last 85 years. There's been a lot of evolution. And if you don't know that and you think that sales is one thing and you see it on TV and you're like, this is, this is what I think it is. And, and this is what they show in a movie. You're going to be off. It's going to be off. Okay. So next lack of follow-up, not every deal closes. And yes, even for the things that I sell, I've got to follow up. There's times where it takes a few attempts to make something happen. It doesn't automatically happen for me. I'm not somebody who closes every deal either. I don't have a hundred percent closing rate. I'm pretty good at what I do, but I don't have a hundred percent closing rate. I'm working on my skills every day. Okay. So those are the basics. Let's talk about the medium range. Uh, whenever you give a presentation, you, you do have to make some decisions. So like sometimes salespeople will assume the, the deal is made, so they sh- shortcut the presentation. They decide to take elements out of the presentation. They stop uh, putting in the effort. And I'm going to give you an example. If you've ever sold to friends or family, your brain is going to tell you, hey, I got this. I got this. Yeah, so your brain's going to say, yeah, I got this. And what ends up happening is you start shortcutting the presentation. And medium range on this is, you know, uh, there becomes a point where you start thinking that the deal is made and you start angling towards the close and the buyer just isn't ready. So one of the reasons that you lose deals is because you're not paying attention and you're going too fast and you lose patience. Now, I am raising two hands because I did this a lot and I didn't realize that this was one of the reasons I was losing deals. And one of the, the reasons I like to point out that I make mistakes that I still don't close on, well, I'm never going to close hundred percent that I don't close hundred percent is because I'm human. And I want you to realize that mistakes are common in the world of sales. Mistakes are common in the world of business. And there's nobody who's above the standards, the rules. Next on this medium range list is not explaining the closing sequence, the next steps. Now, I see a lot of salespeople forget to paint the picture of what, what is going to happen next. They, they have a really good presentation, but they lack the ability to say, here is the vision. 
And Chris Voss likes to say vision drives decision. Here's the vision. Here's the vision of you moving forward. Here are the steps. Here's the game plan. In order to get started, here's what you have to do. Now, you may say it a million different ways. I'm just giving you the framework, okay? This one on the list may surprise you. This next one on the list may completely surprise you. And what it comes down to is you don't like the buyer. I'm like, Scott, are you kidding me? Me not liking the buyer loses deals. And I'm going to say sometimes. I can't say 100% of the time because sometimes people need what you have to sell. And they could be desperate and they may grit their teeth and like, I really don't like this sales guy, but I'm going to buy it anyway. Or this sales girl. I've seen that happen too. Okay. But you know how this feels when somebody doesn't like you. You know how it feels. I know how it feels. There's plenty of people who don't like me. I've got a long list of people who don't like me. It's because like I say what I'm thinking and it is an issue for me. Remember I told you earlier in this episode that there's three traits of good salespeople, good looking, socially awkward, and funny. Well, I don't have a filter, which is part of being socially awkward. Okay. So, um, you have to know that when you look at a sales process, when you don't like the buyer, they know it. There is an energy to it. There's an energy to me when I don't like somebody. There's an energy to other people when they don't like me. I know it. They know it. And one of the greatest scenes from a movie that uh, has to do with sales a lot, but is not a good guide for you to do sales is Wolf of Wall Street. And there's a point when they're in Switzerland and they're sitting at the table and they're not saying anything out loud, but you can hear what they're thinking. You know that when you're sitting at the buyer at the table with a the buyer, they're thinking one thing. And there's times where you can pick up and you're like, I know exactly what this person's thinking. Okay. So realize you not liking a buyer is going to be a problem and it is a possibility for you to lose a deal. Yeah. If if you are projecting energy that you don't like a person, they're gonna pick up on it. Next on the list, not excluding the competition. You know, I don't ever name people specifically. You know, I do have competitors and I put that roughly in quotation marks. I do. I, I got competitors. They're not as good as me. Um, especially in the industries that I serve. They, 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 uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. But I will tell you, I set up bear traps for them all the time. I set up things and surprises that they have to deal with because they act in certain ways. Okay. Next on the list, lack of follow through. I'm not talking follow up. I'm talking follow through. There's times where people say, hey, here's some information that I need. I need details on this. I need the spec, whatever version is for your industry. Just a lack of general follow through. Now, let's talk about advanced losses, advanced losses. And I want to start with negotiation. There is a point where you induce greed and, uh, there's a lot of different versions of this. And this isn't just for the salesperson. It's also for the buyer. And when you induce greed, the tough thing about that is people get a very clouded judgment. People get excited about a deal. And they 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 have problems. And I'm going to give you specifics and some examples from my life, okay? Um, Inducing greed can be that you, you've you given too big of a discount up front and the buyer didn't have to fight for it. They they feel like you're desperate. So you've got a $10,000 widget. You've got $2,000 in discounts to play with. And you go to them and you're like, hey, I really, I, I like you. I just want to make this as easy as possible. I'll just give you the best discount that I can, two grand. 
And like, this is like the thought process in the mind of the buyer. They're like two grand. That's like 20%. Like how much fat was really in this deal? And were you going to try to take advantage of me? So inducing greed happens. So, um, uh, my family had a business and we shut it down because of, you know, the environment of what's going on out in the world. And there was product that was left over from this business. And I've been selling it on Facebook marketplace and a couple of different other websites. And we're talking, you know, products that brand new should be $25,000 each. And, you know, when you buy something that's used, there is a amount that goes along with it uh, on the marketplace. And so used products typically get about 25 to 30% of their original value. And that's a pretty good standard. I used to, I used to, um, to go and auction off restaurants when they closed. So, you know, I had a a partner when I got out of high school and what we would do is we would go to auctions and we would find places that were selling refrigerators and, and cold tables and, you know, tables and chairs and whatnot, whatever you would find in restaurants. And the general rule was if you knew what the price of that product was, you never really wanted to pay more than 20% of the value because the markup on it that you could get was about 10%. General rule, 25, maybe 35% on used items. Now, granted, this was to 1995, 96, 97. So the numbers may have changed slightly. And if I'm off, simmer down. The reason I bring all this up is these products that were $25,000 have a value to them. So if you do some quick math and you figure out 20% of that, you're somewhere between six dollars and $8,000 per item. And I've had people you know, message me and say, hey, I want to buy this item, this thing from you, which is cool, fantastic, great, no problem. You're, you're buying something on the secondary market, I've got something to sell. But they, they get greed-induced. They're like, I want the best deal possible. I want the best deal possible. But like they, they don't put any commitment up front. They don't say anything about, you know, here's what I'm willing to give. Here's what I'm willing to do. And there is a section of people that that's all they care about is the deal. They don't care about anything else. And, and greed is induced on them. And then there's people where you induce the greed by the way that you give your discounts, by the way that you structure your presentation. And this can create a loss. And the reason why I say it's advanced is because this takes some time to get used to out in the field. This isn't something that you learn in one day. It's something where you learn people's body language, you learn their pitch and tone, and you learn timing. Because if you get asked for a discount, your buyer comes to you and says, I want to buy your widget or gizmo for 10 grand. And the second that they say, I want to buy it for 10 grand, you go, yes. Like they're like, hey, sales guy, hey, sales girl, I want to buy your widget or gizmo for 10 grand. Yes. Like that quick, like the timing's off. There's something's weird, something's awkward, and it'll get people to go, maybe I don't want to buy. Okay. So you can induce greed and the buyer can induce greed. It goes both ways and you have to pay attention to this. This is why it's really important for you to learn how to sell items on the secondary market. You know, Facebook, Marketplace, Craigslist, or whatever is similar in your country. So if you're not in the United States, whatever whatever market you sell used items on, okay? And so you start learning the word patterns. What's your best price? You, you have to be able to answer this the right way. You know, I, I have people message me sometimes and they're like, what's your best price? I'm like, you know what? You're going to ask that question, make me an offer. You tell me, you tell me what you think your best price is. 
And, you know, if, if you've sold anything online, you know it's weird and people will message you and they never get back to you. And they're like, hey, is it available? And you say yes and you never hear from them. It's like they just hit buttons. You know, it's like uh, <laughs> hitting button Tourette's. On this advanced list is the personal things. The personal things. Your personal life will impact your sales life. Yes, it does. So you've got friends and family pressure. So you've got good pressure and you've got bad pressure. Good pressure is, hey, honey, really want you to make a sale today. Hope things are going good. So you have the internal pressure of a family. You have the people who love you and want things to be done good. And they generally are like, I hope you make a sale today because it just perpetuates our family and things are good. Okay. You've got mothers, dads, you've got brothers, sisters, you've got aunts and uncles, you know, you've got the relatives and and you've got the people who genuinely encourage you. And on the flip side of that are the people who discourage you. You're a bad person. You're in sales. You've changed. All you care about is the money. And that is a pile of garbage that you can carry with you into the sale and only close at a certain percent because you believe that you're only worthy of making X amount of income a year. So people are really weird about money. My parents made 60 grand a year. I can't make more than them. Like my parents made 60 grand a year. I better make 120. My parents made 60 grand a year. I better make 240. My parents made 60 grand a year. I better make a million. Like there's different ways to look at this. But sometimes the family pressure or the peer pressure or the friend pressure is like, you know, you're evolving and you're leaving me behind. And what this real conversation, what the real conversation here is, you're making me look bad because I haven't done anything with my life. They're not going to say it that way. It's a, it's a jealousy issue. But if you have enough people pressure around you, it's a way that you end up losing deals. And which will piggyback onto this next one, but not all the time, which is a lack of self-confidence. And if you go through a lot in your life, um, your personal issues really do impact your, your business life. And self-confidence can be from breakups. It could be from losses. It could be from a lot of different things. You just have to, to realize where your self-confidence comes from. You know, there was a point where I gained a lot of weight. It messed with my self-confidence. There was a point that I went through a really bad breakup. It messed with my self-confidence. You know, we all have these things that go along with our lives and we do have issues and there's things that we have to fight for. And so with this being said, these are all really tied together, but not. <laughs> there, there's an element where you can, it's like a, a pie. You can pick the one that's really going to cause you to struggle. You can lose focus. And in sales, focus comes from a loss of something. I lost a family member. I lost a pet. I lost a significant other. And, you know, uh, loss could be breakup. It could be death. You've gained something. You bought a house. You bought a pool. You bought a car. You went on a vacation. And it could be from trauma. It could be from a bad event that has happened in your life because bad things do happen to good people. Okay. Uh, You know, there's times where you're not in it. You're not in it. Uh, I have worked for companies where my brain just went, I'm out. I'm out which caused me to lose focus on closing deals. Uh, my brain says I'm out. My brain says I'm done. Guess what? I was done. Uh, at that point, I should have packed up my marbles. I should have gone home. I should have found a different job. Um, but we all live through these cycles. That there, I think there's something like 700 books on sales. And a lot of uh, books on sales are all on strategy. They're all on tactics. But they don't tell you really what you go through as a salesperson. Like, here's how you close a deal. Here's how you ask a question. And here is what you need to do. But they don't tell you, like, here are the problems that you're going to face, real real issues that you're going to have. This is the stuff that you're going to go through. Because, uh, one, I don't think people categorize it this way. Two, I think these are, like, taboo conversations that really do need to be had. 
And three, most people don't pay attention enough to know what to talk about. But, you know, talking about that you're not in it personally, you know, you could have all the events that are going on in your life. You could be because the company you don't care for anymore. Um, they suck. They got bought out. They changed their product line. You got different management. Pick, pick, an, pick an issue. It, it could be from stress. Um, I'm, I, I, it's me. Like right now in my life, I'm single. I've got a bird. That's it. I take care of me. I take care of my bird. And do I have stress sometimes? Absolutely. And I got family issues. Yeah, I got things that I deal with on my end. Uh, I do have stress. And sometimes the stress causes me to lose deals because it causes me to lose focus. It could be the wrong product. You just, you lost issue in the, you've, you've lost confidence in the product. It could be the wrong service. You've lost, you've lost belief in the service. The last on this list is something that may surprise you. And it's that you've evolved to the next part of your life. You've done well in sales. You, you've, you've got the awards. You've, you've got fulfillment. You've made the money. And then you're like, you know what? I think I need to search for something more. I need something more. And, and something more could be a relationship. Something more could be a business. Something more can be a change of lifestyle, meaning that you move, you go somewhere else. And when you start looking at like major changes in your life, major changes can cause you to lose deals, can cause you to lose focus. So there, there may be five or six other things on this list that I missed. I might have missed 10 things. I wanted to give you the big issues that you face as a salesperson that cause you to lose deals, that cause you to, to not have something happen. Now, remember, we started with accountability. And accountability is going to be one of the foundations of this conversation that if you're not willing to accept like that, what happens in your life is up to you. If you're not willing to accept that, you know, hey, you screwed up. If you're not willing to take accountability for your sales process, none of this matters. None of this matters. Uh, I will meet with salespeople and companies will hire me to work with them. And I start asking them, you know, tell me about your accountability. Who are you accountable to? Like, I, And they'll start mouthing off. I'm not going to be accountable to anybody and nothing's my fault. The second that you go into nothing is my fault mode is a time where you really need to start paying attention to what's going on with your deals because you're about to lose a lot of freaking money. You're about to lose a lot of deals. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. It's not my responsibility. I don't like this person. I don't like that guy. I don't like this girl. They're a problem. It's the equipment. It's the company. It's the service. It's the product. Just know that like your numbers are about to dip. Your numbers are about to dip. There's a lot of reasons why people sell, lose sales and lose deals. I've outlined a good majority of them from what my notes are over the last 15 years. Have I missed stuff? Maybe. Uh, but I wanted to give you examples of what you need to know and what you need to be aware of. Because at the end of the day, it's not you against everybody else in sales first. It's you against you. It's you against you in sales first. It's, uh, it's kind of like golf. You're, you're, you're competing against yourself first and then other people. And, you know, there's minor things that happen in sales that happen to everybody, the general, the basic, the medium, all the way to the advanced. And uh, if you're not willing to accept that you have an input of your life and you have the, your input of how to make deals happen, then none of this is going to matter. None of this is going to matter. So I challenge you, start paying attention to when you're doing good in sales and what's going right in your life, and when you're doing bad in sales, and what's going wrong in your life. And those two sides of the coin will really give you your advantage to, to what's going on and to what you're looking at. <laughs>
Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.